Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to the Spotlight. We are your hosts, the Ambassador Retired. And I am Alex, the Chief. Harry, do, who do we have today, sir? We have Representative Marvin Lim of Georgia. We're so excited to talk to him. Such an American success story. An immigrant from the Philippines who managed to go to Emory and Yale Law School through hard work and now at a young age is a state representative with what with such a bright future. Welcome, Representative Lim. It's an honor to be here, Ambassador. I'm well aware of, of who you are, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy. It's an exciting time in, in general in our country. So looking forward to this. Thank you for taking the time, sir. We really appreciate it, especially in your such a busy schedule of you. Uh, sir, before we get to our background, your background, your personal history, your family, such as a great American success story, we want to touch on what's going on in Washington today to get your thoughts on that. Right. So today, of course, being what was supposed to be the vote by Congress to certify the Electoral College results and has resulted in pandemonium. I believe at least one person has been shot and people who are uh, essentially attempting to stage a coup. You know, my reaction to that is one of fear, of course, but one that's also very sad uh, because we the American people have cast their votes and through 60 some odd lawsuits in front of judges, the third branch of government, there's the legislative, of course, executive and the judicial, they are fair and impartial. Not one of them have seen any evidence to move forward with any of the lawsuits to try to to overthrow any of the state's electoral results. So it's really quite sad when people who have their own beliefs, their own conception of the truth, that's fine. In America, you're allowed to do that, but you're not allowed to overthrow others when they believe, and particularly when they have gone through this democratic constitutional process that a war was fought over and that through some 250, almost 250 years, uh, we have put into play in order to have a democratic, for example, transition of power, it is so sad that, that there are those that are inverting that. They think that they are upholding those ideals when in fact they're inverting it and, and harming so many others who themselves fought hard to vote. So I think it's a tragedy and I certainly hope that it resolves itself peacefully and that we can have a peaceful transition of power that our system is built to have. Well, we see that Governor Kemp has put the National Guard on standby in Georgia. Uh, What's going on in your state, sir? Absolutely. Well, today, obviously, too, um, unofficially, it is all but official that both Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff had won their respective seats for the U.S. Senate. And so, in particular, Georgia is not only because the razor-thin margin that Biden won by in the presidential election and the controversy around that, but also because we have, with these Senate votes, 
shifted the balance of power in the Senate to Democrats, there are a lot of unhappy people here. And I want to make clear, there have been protesters down at our capital, the state capital, uh, since essentially that weekend after November 3rd, protesting the results in Georgia. They are even more furious now. Just 30 minutes ago, my mom, who's actually stuck in the Philippines because of COVID, she uh, messaged me on Facebook saying, you know, you have to be careful. And she is, is being a good mom, of course, being a good parent, but she's also very legitimately worried because there are a lot of unhappy people here. And I was just talking to some other incoming legislators. We have to figure out what the security is going to be because whether it's at the local, the state, or the federal level, these are duly elected uh, constitutional, whether federal or state constitutional officials that are doing the job of serving the citizens. And we need to be able to act in an environment where we don't fear. Uh, There are a lot of people who are very brave, but as we've seen at the state, uh, excuse me, at the federal capital today, they stopped the proceedings. They have stopped democracy. And there's a fear of that right now here because we do enter session. We start session and convene it on Monday. So we'll see what happens. I hope we have all the proper safeguards, but that is a little bit up in the air. And, and, and that level is also scary. Well, I hope that um, it's on TV so Nanai can see her, her son because I know Nana is so proud of you. Thank you so much. That is so heartwarming to hear. And I'm going to, as much as there are a lot of uh, fear, uh, things to fear right now, there's a lot to celebrate. And I'm going to choose to focus on that. And one of those things is uh, those blessings and those well wishes. Thank you so much. It is, it is amazing. And it is, uh, it's, it's, it's humbling to see you, sir, because uh, as a minority, as a Hispanic, I always see immigrants as a as a plus in this country, not as a minus. And and you are a true example of that. So for our audience, sir, can you please uh, let us know who are you? You know, tell us your story, <laughs> sir. Absolutely. My name is Marvin Lim. I am a civil rights attorney, and I'm also a state representative elect for uh, the general Georgia General Assembly. And I'm actually going to be representing a district that is very diverse. We're over 85% minorities and over 50% of us, actually 53% per the 2017 American Community Survey, we are immigrants. And within that, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of folks from Southeast Asia, obviously I'm Filipino, from Vietnam, there's a large population. There's a huge Latinx population, uh, Spanish speaking, Hispanic population here. And there's even a a not small contingency of not just African-Americans, but African immigrants. So I'm very excited to be representing them because there's so much power in that diversity. I identify with them as immigrants, but I also identify with some of their struggles. One of the more negative statistics, unfortunate ones, is that people here, and this is before COVID, one in four people here lived at or below federal poverty levels. Myself coming here from the Philippines, I very much saw that as a privilege and and a blessing because even now there are so many people from the Philippines and other places clamoring to come here. But as I talk through it, I always say it's it's the so-called American dream because the American dream myth traditionally is that if you work hard enough, then you can achieve what you want. 
we all know whether you're immigrant or not, that hard work is necessary in our country. But for so many people, it's not sufficient. And I know a lot of people, including people in my own district, who perhaps worked even harder than my family did and have a less than we did. And even in my own family, you know, you see, and, and Ambassador Thomas mentioned, you know, the schooling that I went through. But I think through some of the struggles that we went through as a family, my father being on unemployment, I was on public, we were on public assistance for a time, um, healthcare assistance because of that unemployment. We were on um, free school meals, free and reduced school meals. So there was so much struggle to that. And what I would like to see, why I became a civil rights attorney and why I ran for office and what I will continue to serve as a value in office is that I believe people work hard. I tend to believe that most people, if not all people do, but not all people see the fruits of their labors. And that's what I wish to do. And I think with the turn, at least at the federal level of our politics, I hope we'll see more of that value reflected in our policies so that we can help immigrants, minorities, those who've been traditionally disenfranchised because they have so much, we have so much potential and we see it right in my district as well. Wow. And it's amazing, like you're talking about, you, you, you took advantage of the government program and look at where you're at. You didn't stay, you know, where you were. You were basically took that as a help and, and, you know, managed to achieve what you have achieved in the short term. Thank and, you. <laughs> I want to I do some uh, um, humor to this. Uh, what is your favorite Filipino food? And I'm going to tell you this why, you know, I'm not a sweet guy and Harry hates this purple bread that his wife uh, does and I love it and I don't like sweets and I love it so I wanted to know <laughs> what's the I name of that Alex <laughs> uh, it, is that I'm assuming that's Ube yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it is amazing I Alex I'm so happy you like it I will say um I will pick one. I was going to say sweet spaghetti because our spaghetti is very sweet, but I will pick uh, lumpia or, or lumpia, as some people say, which is this kind of egg roll thing. Um, and I actually I'm part Chinese, but I'll say it's better than an egg roll. So <laughs> it's an egg roll, but it is actually reflective of, uh, from what I understand, and as I interpret it, of a lot of Filipino history. It's not, it's got some of that uh, Asian uh, Malay influence, it being obviously close to an egg roll, but the spices in it, um, it, particularly some of the sauce you use, a lot of that is uh, very much the influence of uh, the Spaniards that were there. Obviously the Philippines uh, were, colonizers of, uh, excuse me, Spain was colonized, was colonizing the Philippines for many centuries, but even some of the spices be, are, are also reflective of American influence for the time that America was there, like many of our foods. Um, so I, I pick that because it's most delicious. My mom makes the best one, but I, it's one of those <laughs> dishes where I will say you really can't go wrong. There are so many Filipino dishes where I'm like, oh, my mom, that's the only one I will take. I'll be spoiled. But lumpia, whether it's uh, sariwang, which is sort of the fresh one, or Shanghai, which is sort of the more fried one, which is my more favorite one, that is delicious and reflective of Filipino history. So that's one I will pick. So Harry, we gotta we gotta make sure that Miti makes on lumpia so I could test it. Yeah, she will. It's sarap, sarap. My favorite is liempo. That's uh, also delicious. <laughs> uh, representative, please uh, 
again, we know your time is short, but what was it like grow, to grow up in the American South after moving to America in 1991? It was a strange experience, although growing up here, because we moved directly to Atlanta and stayed here throughout essentially all my life, I, I spent some time in D.C., New York, Connecticut, but most of my American life has been here. You know, the South has been my default. So some of that strangeness you don't see until you kind of leave it. But even, I will say, even being here, I grew up in the Atlanta area, which is generally pretty progressive and liberal, but we would still take field trips to this place called Stone Mountain, which if you don't know about, is essentially a a Confederate monument. It has Stonewall Jackson, General Robert E. Lee of the Confederacy carved on it. And it's actually in a majority majority African-American area. And even growing up, uh, that seemed peculiar to me. And that was sort of an example of how I would see certain things that didn't quite line up again with that traditional stereotypical vision of the American dream. But the way I see it now is the American South, America, but the American South gave me a lot and exposed me to a great diversity of people, particularly in Atlanta. There are so many things that do need to, that we do need to address, but that's why I always intended to move back here. I mentioned some of the places I did live in briefly, but I always intended to come back here because I wanted to give back to this place where I grew up, which I knew still had so much more potential problems to fix, but so much more we could do so that Again, everyone here could benefit from the fruits of of their labor because, to me, ultimately, diversity of places like Atlanta and Georgia, which has so much diversity, is our strength. So that's why I want to give back to it. Have you met the president of Morehouse? I have met the... Is it? I don't know who it is currently, actually. I asked Michael Thomas. He has four... He's a Yale man. Yes. Then, yes, I have. (laughs) Yes. You, know, you guys could uh, hang out. <laughs> I'm sure he, he'd be he'd be happy to have somebody from an Eli to talk to. Absolutely. Yes, it's one of the I will say uh, very quickly about that. Um, it's interesting. My mom uh, was very proud of that, uh, of the, you know, the schooling I went to. And that's very understandable. You know, growing up or going through these schools, it's not so much a humility. It's that you don't want to brag about it. And I was always very careful of that, but especially in the course of my campaign, where I talked about the whole story, you don't just focus on the schooling, you don't just focus about the immigrant experience, and you don't just even focus about immigrant to Yale, you focus on the trials and tribulations. I really got to see how, particularly for whether you're immigrants or minorities, how much of a badge that is, how much of an achievement that is. Of course, even you, Stacey Abrams went to Yale Law School. It's such an achievement. It's one that I, again, wear proudly, but also wear proudly in order to wield it to, again, give back to, to these communities. So I will, I will do that and reach out. Trust me. Yeah, Yale is very aware that Stacey Abrams went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> they have brought her up there. <laughs> Trust me. They, they take credit in that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a good segue because as you mentioned, you know, you, you try to tell the whole story when you were campaigning and everything. And, and as you know, actually, like Puerto Ricans, myself, when we see somebody successful, Filipinos might be very proud of you. Look at, look at one of us where they have achieved. So I can see that you're a role model, not only for the Filipino community, but for all the, your, your district. So 
how do you plan to encourage uh, other youth? Yes. So to me, I want to harness the energy of the moment to encourage youth. There are many things I've done, not only in the course of my campaign, but in my professional world and my other advocacy to harness the energy of youth. Um, I've been given Constitution Day presentations. I have helped register voters at, at high schools because here in Georgia, you can register to vote when you're 17 and a half. So those are things I've done, but I want to continue harnessing the energy of the moment, particularly because the youth, particularly among immigrant communities, whether that's API Asian communities, um, Hispanic, Latinx communities, the youth are different from those who are more grown up. No group is a monolith. And we did see that in the November elections in places like Florida or Texas. You can't assume that just because you're an immigrant or from a certain background that you will vote a certain way. But that's why you have to focus on other segments of a population you're hoping to target. The youth are very important, of course, not only for electoral purposes in the future, progressive electoral victories, but also because their voices really matter for some of the longer term concerns. I think we've seen, particularly with COVID, it's hard for so many of us to focus on the long term when we're so worried about the short term. So as far as the youth, they've got to deal with issues like climate change on what a post-COVID-19 economy is going to look like, because it's never going to look the same as what it was before. And there's so many people, so many youth right now in college that have very uncertain prospects. So I want to continue to engage them and will continue to do so, not only through the means I've recognized already, but also I want to help Uh, I want them to help me form the policies that I am hoping to folk, uh, push for. So, so many of the people, for example, that helped me in my campaign, whether they canvassed or phone called, they will now be transitioning into advising me, uh, being staff for me in forming policies. Um, but also, and I'll, the last thing I'll say about this is beyond the policies that we push at the General Assembly, the most important thing I think that youth can do is to continue to engage our communities uh, of whatever age. So just because I quote won an election doesn't mean that I stopped being there in my communities. Even with these runoffs, I was not on the ballot, obviously, but I expended a, a not insignificant amount of money and energy on canvassing our community. And I continue, will continue to be out there in our communities and will be there with the youth so that I can hear from them, but also so that I can use them or we can be together in engaging these, particularly these diverse communities. What a wonderful, wonderful answer. What are your legislative priorities? Yes, absolutely. You know, so this is the way I take into putting it. A lot of us want things to go back to normal because vis-a-vis uh, -vis COVID. But for so many people in my district, and I mentioned some of the statistics, and my district, while unique in its own way, it's not unique in some of the challenges it faced before COVID-19. All that is to say, a lot of people in my district don't want to go back to the old normal because so many of the problems with respect to housing, with health care, with public safety, something that we as a nation grappled with in 2020, those were existing problems already. So those are going to be my legislative priorities, as well as voting, obviously. And I have, at this point, written about 30 bills, not all of which I'll introduce to do that. But so much of my priorities won't just be about what can we pass 
uh, because the, the reality is at the state level, Democrats are still in the minorities in both of our chambers and our governor is very famous right now is Republican. So there's not going to be a, we cannot pass our ideal policies at the state level, but there are so many ways that we can still help people. Constituent services is a big deal to me, but beyond that, I'm all about expanding resources, but so much of the battle, again, particularly for, say, immigrant communities, particularly for those who don't have, you know, English proficiency quite, is access to information. So an example I like to use is there's so many people that didn't end up entering their information to get a stimulus check because those of the lowest income, those who made 10K or less, they weren't in the IRS database, but they didn't know they needed to do that, ironically. There were so many immigrant and diverse small businesses up along my corridor that didn't apply for SBA loans because they didn't know about that. So what I want to do is to continue to work with agencies at the executive level, at local government agencies, the federal government, obviously, and private partners to ensure that we're getting the information out there to people about resources that already exist. Right now, that battle actually is COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, we are in a phase in Georgia and, and nationally where those who are 65 and over can get a vaccine, yet so many people still don't know that. So that's what I'm currently working on right now, and I think is a good example of what will continue to be a legislative priority for me. There's so many resources in housing, healthcare, public safety I want to expand, but there's so much I want to do just in terms of access to basic information about what's already there. And with the representative's priority, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. Welcome back to the spotlight. Uh, we're back with Representative uh, Marvin Ling, and we were finishing discussing his priority. 
And I want to know, how, how do you plan to bring diverse constituency together, especially in today's environment, sir? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. So part of that is addressed by the policies I have to push, the constituent services. That's a big deal to me. But part of what I also hope to do is in my community, there's certainly a lot of distrust. It's getting better, but there's a lot of distrust of government institutions. Part of that is because up until January 1st, we had a sheriff who cooperated with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. But because of the political power we were able to wield, we have a new sheriff now that doesn't do that. But there's still going to be a lot of lingering mistrust in part because they don't just mistrust law enforcement or any governmental body. Um, but they also don't trust each other. There are so many people here who don't talk to their neighbors. So one of the things that I did in my own campaign, for example, is a good example of what I will continue to do. What I mentioned information to uh, access to information, one of the things I continue to push for is language access. So everything I do is pretty much always translated in the three major languages, English, obviously, um, Spanish, and Vietnamese, which just speaks to the diversity of this. Oh, wow. Area. Vietnamese. Never yeah, about absolutely. That. It's a lot of diversity within the diversity. But as far as how to bring them together, one of the resources I mailed out to about 5,000 households was this resource that on the back, it was how to talk to your neighbor in seven different languages. So because last year we had this reckoning of the police, not the police, but if we want to live in a society where we rely on the police less, hopefully we can all agree that there are some things that we should be able to discuss neighbor to neighbor, then we have to be able to go to our neighbor. And so on the one side of that mailer was, here are the ordinances that you might not know about. Um, you might not know that burning trash, for example, harms people's asthma conditions. But on the other side was how to talk to your neighbor, how to introduce your, your neighbor um, in seven different languages, but then how to address certain problems with, I ran out of a copy, otherwise I would show it to you, but how to talk to them in those seven languages and say, hey, um, could you reduce the burning because I have an asthma problem? Or, hey, like, um, I have to sleep tonight. How do I, uh, would you mind turning down your music? So because part of the issue with a diverse constituency is we do come at it from different angles. We do have different norms, different backgrounds. So what can I do as a state legislator? I think far before passing policies, I can, again, be with my community, help them communicate with each other. That's why I will continue to be in the community. That's why I'll continue to do it in those various languages. And I think that, above all, and listening to people and what they care about is the foundation for everything else, regardless of what their background is. Do you, did you receive any feedback if it was successful? Just out of curiosity? Because it's a simple, if you think about yep. it, it's not that, it, it wasn't, a, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a very Absolutely. simple approach. I did receive feedback. People have used it. People put it on their, uh, their refrigerator doors. So it's also <laughs> a little bit of a clever poly, uh, like a election materials thing because uh, some of it was, of course, it has my name on it. That's Primarily, it was not about that. But it's like, hey, here, I don't want to be one of those people that just comes around and asks people for their votes because that's why there are so many people that don't vote. One of the statistics in my district is that in 2016, only 36% of the eligible voters, eligible voters even voted here. Wow. And I can understand to a great extent why that is. There's a lot of voter suppression. You know, when I was first eligible to vote, I was wrongfully flagged as a non-citizen voter. But there are so many people that 
believe that it doesn't matter whom I elect, it's still going to be the same. I can get that. And that's why I don't make promises that I know I can't keep. My only promise is to listen to them. And that's why listening to them starts with listening to them how they prefer. Uh, That's why the language is important. And that's why this is the foundation for everything else. I got a lot of good feedback from that, but it also just jibes with the values that I hope to bring here. We don't just want to keep asking people for things. We want to, first of all, give them things. Then you ask them for something. And that's the voting, of course. (laughs) That's a great answer, Representative. You touched on it before, but let's go back. What are the economic, immigration, COVID-19 challenges facing your constituents? Absolutely. Uh, I, I will still stick by a large part of that is access to information. When it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine, I already talked about when it comes to economic, I've already talked about from both the SBA standpoint, businesses, commercial, as well as individual with the stimulus checks. Um, and with immigration, I already touched on that a little bit with the fact that there's a lot of this mistrust, but I, I suppose I can sum that all in this way. Yes, in Georgia, we had had some electoral victories, but these folks are not going to turn out because they need to keep turning out if if we're going to get the long-term policies, the the policies that don't just put a Band-Aid on things, the long-term policies we need, because ideally, economically, we would have longer-term protection for renters so that people aren't evicted. With COVID-19, we need a different government in Georgia so that we actually have adherence to uh, social distancing policies, because you may recall, or some of you know, Georgia was probably the first economy to reopen. And a lot of that was politically influenced. So these folks need to keep turning out. So that will be the challenge. We have all this energy. How do we harness it so that we can pass policies, elect politicians that will think about the people and not waste it so that these folks will, again, just start to think, well, I voted and nothing changed. Um, I'm not going to vote again because 2022 is right around the corner. We know that's going to be critical in Georgia and nationally. So that's how it wrapped the challenges up in a tiny bow. We have this moment that's exciting, but we need to harness it or otherwise nothing in the long term is going to change. I hear you because uh, I took not long ago uh, about seven high school girl basketball team that I was mentoring to Savannah so they could see, you know, the the cold during everything. And when I got there, I thought it was going to be not a lot of people. And it was like COVID-19 did not exist. I was like, oh, my God. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it surprised me. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I just I just thought that, like you said, you know, like you were talking about, I, I, I do hear you because I was like, oh, my God. So I was more concerned now with the girls that get, you know, yeah. infected than anything. Hopefully we're we had a <laughs> well, no, they are. I mean, we had a, they learn a lot. So do yeah. I. It, it, it was incredible. How can Georgia best help its growing and diverse immigrant community? And I think you kind of touched a little bit about, you know, more information and everything. But uh, what do you think? I think I'll expand a little bit on that because a lot of what I've talked about certainly applies in my district. But a lot of people think of Georgia and they think of Atlanta. Atlanta is not the whole of Georgia. And while I'm in Atlanta and I'm in a large immigrant populated area, there are so many immigrants throughout the state. And people don't think about that. Um, 
People don't think about uh, the immigrants up in North Georgia in poultry farms um, that were disproportionately affected by COVID-19 when there was wow. an outbreak there. People don't think about how immigrants um, are the backbone in South Georgia of some of our pecan and other sort of agricultural practices. People don't think about that. So I think above all, I want people to know about that, but I also want Georgia to think about immigrants, again, not just in, in Atlanta or urban areas, but what is the immigrant experience like throughout the diverse, geographical diversity of the state? How can we help those farm workers? If they want to start their own small business farms, how can we do that for them? Or if they want to upskill and enter a different industry, or if they want to move, what is it like to help those people that don't have access to a lot of the private uh, nonprofits and resources that we do have the fortune of having in Atlanta. So that's something that I will continue to focus on. Uh, there's a lot of diversity, again, within the diversity. And part of that is that geographical diversity of diverse and immigrant populations. A representative, before we turn to last night's elections, what was your reaction to Governor the call from the president of the United States to the secretary of state of Georgia last weekend that was taped. It was extraordinary. Unfortunately, it was not surprising. I, this is very, (laughs) it was not surprising. I'm one of those people. It's kind of like Nancy Pelosi is also Catholic. Growing up for the first seven years of my life in the Philippines, I grew up in Catholicism, but it was a Catholic social justice tradition where we, cared for the poor, the sick, those who are most vulnerable. So from that and my parents who did a good job, I have a lot of empathy. And throughout the years of President Trump's presidency, I tried to have a lot of empathy for him. Um, Every day I would wake up, or not every day, but that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I'd say maybe this is the day that he will get the best of himself. Because in order to live out my values, I have to continue to believe he's a human being. And as a human being, he has value. But I think it's a tragedy, all of that said, that he would say what he said. It's it's basically a smoking gun when you say, I need you to find me the votes or use the word find. I think that is a shame. There are so many people, both Democrats and Republicans, for different reasons, but both Democrats, Republicans are people that don't like politics at all, that have so much lack of faith in our political processes for very good reasons, some of them, for others, not so good reasons, but there's this overwhelming question about our democratic system. For that democratic system to survive, and it needs to, because one thing that is important is to remember, we in America are bounded by these two oceans. We are not Europe, and Europe, particularly France right now, is seeing some of the difficulties of handling a multicultural population. We in America, we cannot We have tried. We cannot, we've fought a civil war. We have deported people. We have uh, sent people to internment camps. We have sent Native Americans out West and deprived them of their property. But, and we have killed so many black and brown people, but those people are still here. Um, And those people who are in, you know, think a different way. um, Those who are super conservative, they're still here too. They're not going to be able to secede. We tried that again. We need to find a way to live together. And that democratic process is our most important hope to do that. So that because the only alternative to living together is all of us killing each other. And I want to avoid that. I'm sure you all do too. So it is a tragedy when there's someone who is at the very top who was elected 
of saying that these processes are broken and reifying the fears that so many people already have in a process that is our only hope to not killing each other, essentially. I hope that will change. Well, he's forcing me to question my Catholic faith. Uh, you know, I was raised by the Jesuits. So they, you know, Jesuits always teach you to question authority. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, I, I am doubting Thomas myself. So perhaps you are doubting. I am, but I, you know, AMDG. Doubting Ambassador Thomas. AMDG. Go ahead, Harry. Take it out. I think we're heading well, to the, the we, representative's we have, time. You have given us more time than you promised. But as we end, we have to ask you a couple of questions, sir. Yeah, please do. Please. Please. Um, the Georgia senatorial elections. Uh, really, we have elected an African-American preacher and a young Jewish person. And we have elected yourself. There has to be hope in America. But what was your reaction last night and early this morning? Absolutely. My reaction was of such great joy as someone who obviously canvassed and worked a lot for, for both of them. It was a lot of great joy, of course. And not only is it a reflection of the diversity of America and of Georgia, but it's also a reflection of what is possible in the South. At the very beginning, we talked about what it was like for me to grow up in the American South. And I said, you know, it's a place where I, even early on, I question things. I was my own doubting Marvin, but I always saw the potential. And we're starting to see that in, in a big way. And to me, as an immigrant who loves uh, the Philippines where I'm from, part of the reason I stayed here, because after 2016, I told myself, like many people did, like, how can I best help? And most of my family is in the Philippines. My mom is there right now. My brother is there right now. And I am here. And I spent Christmas here. Um, and I, of course, I want to be with my family. But I ultimately reached the conclusion, and this was during the Trump days, that the best thing I could do even for the Philippines, as well as for America, is to be here, given the outsized influence of America. And being in this position now, both as an elected official and seeing these two diverse candidates rising to power in the Senate, I see so much potential in our American institutions, not only to help the least of the least here in America, but the least of the least in the Philippines and the least of the least in so many other places where America will continue to have that influence. It's time to restore not only faith of Americans in America, but of people who are not Americans in America. And I think this is the right path towards it. I'm so happy to have been at the epicenter of it all right here in Georgia. I, did, have you met Chris Valderrama? She, I have not. I have not. He's a good friend. She is a Maryland state representative in Prince George County, a young Filipina immigrant. Yes. Yes, I have not had the occasion even to um, exchange uh, uh, messages with her. So would love an introduction. That will happen. <laughs> that will happen. Alex is a big athlete and, and fan, uh, uh, basketball and boxing fan. I think he wants to ask you about uh, a special Filipino boxer. Okay. I think I know which one. Go ahead. Hey, Representative. Our last question is just, uh, again, we, you, we're very grateful for your time and, and extended time. Do you really, do you think that Manny Pacquiao will ever run for president in the Philippines? 
<laughs> I am allowed to answer this question, I think. With- <laughs> no, I'm very care. I mentioned the colonialist past and how it manifests itself in lumpia, but there's also the tragic colonial past. So I'm very careful um, as outsized the influence of America is, I'm very careful to comment on, because I'm not a Filipino citizen anymore, on the, the question uh, the, that is facing the Philippines. But I can answer this one because it's a yes or no question. I do think he will run for president. And I will say this. I hope that the Filipino people, because they've got their own elections coming up, I hope that, because they're also facing their own fears uh, and they're facing COVID-19. And I see that. I know what the lockdowns are like because I get those updates from my mom and my brother. With all of the fear and the problems they're facing, I hope whoever the leader is, because um, Manny Pacquiao is, is a great boxer and there is so much to recommend to him. I don't agree with his policies on a universal level, but I hope if he's in office, whoever is in office, they will, again, bring to, to bear, I'll put it this way, the values that I, again, learned so much as a child, those Catholic social justice values, the least of the least, and ruling not through fear, because I don't think that's what Catholicism is about, Christianity, that's, I don't think what Jesus is about, that's even a secular value that I'm not about, not ruling through fear, but ruling through listening, what do the least of the least think about, because there's so much fear there, as there is in so many countries, from Brazil to Hungary, um, to, to America. So we need leaders that will actually be there that have the humility to listen to people and not rule with an iron fist. Whatever the country we're in, we have seen through history that that does not work. So whether it's Manny Pacquiao, uh, Pacquiao or someone else, I hope they take a different route. And I'm glad to see that in America, we're starting to correct our course in that respect. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. We are hoping that uh, Vice President Robredo will be one of our guests in the future. Oh, wow. <laughs> you may know that uh, in March, we brought uh, Maria Ressa, my good friend, up to Yale. And uh, she is one of our many heroes. Uh, and those are, are people that we hope to see uh, in the future. And of course, uh, growing up, Cardinal Sin uh, inspired us all. Absolutely. Wow. (laughs) And and today you have inspired us. Well, thank you. You two inspire me and I look forward to the day where I can meet you all in person. (laughs) Well, I will bring the next time I'm in Atlanta, I'll bring some of my wife's uh, panda sal. Oh, gosh. Ube and ensamada. (laughs) They're awesome. As, as, think my mom does not make, by the way. So, well, she, well, you know, in the Philippines, your mom always makes the best. We understand that. Uh, but uh, you're a triathlete. She won't make you taba, but uh, you just have to eat a little bit every once in a while. So, Alex, the last word is yours for the representative. Well, representative, we, we really appreciate your time. We thank you. We wish you the best. Again, congratulations. And uh, thank you for being the spotlight. Thank you all. And I'll be coming down to Florida, too. You, you all have some work to do, too. So thank you all for having me. We do. We'll take you to Jollibee's. Salamat po. Salamat. sa Jollibee. Awesome. Thank you. Gracias. Salamat. Thank you for tuning into The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.